Well, good morning, Harrison Bridge. Hope you guys are having a fantastic weekend. I've looked forward to today for many reasons, uh, but primarily I missed you guys last week. I was down at Upstate Church Anderson campus down there. I had a phenomenal time, but selfishly, I, I miss being here with y'all a little bit. But I would encourage you, I told the first two services this, if you have an opportunity, if you're somehow not in the area one Sunday, you're closer to Anderson or one of our other campuses, highly, highly encourage you to go check out one of our other campuses. And here's why. We are a multi-site church but we are one church. And so if you haven't had that opportunity, do yourself a favor at some point. And I'll tell you this, Anderson is remarkable from the standpoint of the primary, primary age of that campus is college students or our college students. But what I saw, I told somebody outside from last year, last time I was there was like last March to this year. Last year, I saw one family there in addition to college students. This year, I think at least five to six families. The room was packed out. The Lord is doing amazing work there on that campus through Will's leadership. Uh, he's doing amazing work on all of our campuses. Uh, you guys got to hear Dustin last week as well, and I know you were in great hands with him. And so all of that to say, man, it's good to be back here with you guys. And so we're continuing with our Scent series in Acts 8 today. And then just to go ahead and tell you from the get-go, we're going to be talking about a topic that a lot of us are going to be tempted to start throwing up some walls in just the next few seconds because the topic is living out the gospel. Put it another way, sharing the gospel is essentially where we're going to land this plane at the end of our time together. And if you're like me, when I was sitting in that seat, already you're formulating a list of excuses, if you're a follower of Christ, why I cannot share the gospel. And I'm not saying that to, to push you down. I'm just saying I know what it is, right? I, even now as a pastor, there are times where I'm like, do I really? God, I'm not prepared for this. God, I don't have this. God, I need that. And here's the thing. If that is you sitting in those moments of temptation, fight against that to put up those walls here today. Because we're all in this together. We all struggle in that together. But my hope is as we look to God's word, you will receive some encouragement and some loving challenges to call you out of that and to what you were really built to do. Because we have a calling as we see in Acts. And Acts 1-8 is the calling of the whole book. And you'll hear me pretty much every week that I'm here with you guys teaching from the book of Acts. It's all centered around that last great call Jesus gives before he ascends. And that is, he looks at his followers and he says, be witnesses here at home in the region and to the ends of the earth. And that is what governs the rest of the book of Acts. That is what the believers are walking out through every page. And here's the thing, it's still the same call here today for followers of Jesus. I was sitting in a room of student pastors this past week, had an opportunity just to be fed. I, I was in a room where I felt like the dumbest person in the room, and that, that's a really good place to be because you're just soaking it all in. And this guy, Brad Lomanet, came in, and he started talking about the difference between calling and assignment. And he said, we get a lot of these things confused sometimes, or these two things confused. And he said, here's why. We often think that our assignment is our calling. So I, I'll give you my example. My calling is to invest in the next generation, young families and adults with the gospel of Jesus through preaching and sharing of the gospel in the local church. That's my calling. Now, my assignment can change. My assignment right now is to be student director and teaching pastor here at Harrison Bridge. That's my assignment. Seven years ago, it was to be in Newberry for seven years. That was my assignment. So your assignment can change, but the calling is the same. My general calling, as is yours, if you're a follower of Jesus, is to make disciples, to make Jesus known wherever you may be. And again, we, we face that temptation a lot of times. 
to say, I, I know it, Corey, but I don't really want to live it. An example from my life of that, I was saved in third grade, but I never shared the gospel until I was 23 years old. So there's a huge gap in there. Huge gap where I knew a lot of stuff about Jesus, but I wasn't sharing really that much about Jesus. And here's the crazy thing. Somehow or another, really through God's providence, I ended up on the mission field in a closed-off communist country back in 2009, living for six months there. And I had never shared the gospel before. How the IMB approved my application, when I literally put on there, I have not shared the gospel before, I have no idea. I, I'm going to ask God about that when I get to heaven one day. How did I end up there? But I, I ended up there, and what I found is I was staying with my, my supervisor. He was there, one of the long-term missionaries there, and I would watch him share the gospel. And he knew and I knew that there was coming a day when he was going to look at me and say, it's your turn. Right? Because I had to turn in at the end of every month a report. Here's how many times I shared the gospel. And there was that one day, he said, all right, it's your turn. And it, the mode of how we made this happen was a lot of times I, I, was, I was a professor at age 23, which is kind of crazy. Uh, I was at a, a college campus, and they made me a professor of English as a second language, right? A little country twang boy, 23 years old, teaching English from, you know, you'll hear me see, say in a minute when uh, I say water the right way, everybody else says it wrong. That's a Johnsonville twang on it, right? This is what I was teaching the closed-off communist country students over there. This, this is how you speak English, right? So I get there, and, and we would teach, and then we would go play basketball, and we would invite people to dinner afterwards. And one fateful day, I invite this guy, and I'm so nervous because I have to share the gospel. That's the expectation. And so I'm walking into this restaurant, and I'm expecting it to just be this guy, but he shows up with his girlfriend. And I'm like, bro, like, really? Like, I, it was bad enough just having you here, but now she's here too? And so literally, we, we finished eating, and I put it off long enough, and I'm like, all right, I just got to do this. Otherwise, I don't know what I'm going to say. And so I start sharing with him probably the most imperfect conversation or presentation I've ever given. And I stumble through it, and I get to the end of it, and I say, so how do you think you should respond? And he said, I want to trust Jesus. I said, wait, wait, wait a second. You must not have heard what I shared and how bad it was. Let me share this again. I walked him through the presentation again. And I said, how do you want to respond? And fully expecting him to say, oh, I didn't hear that first time. Never mind. He said, I want to follow Jesus. And I was, I was almost like, what do I even do with this? Now, I did not expect this. And I share that and say, I had no idea what I was doing when I was sharing the gospel. But the Lord was faithful in his leading and in his guidance, primarily through the Holy Spirit, to get me to where I needed to be. And that's my hope and my prayer for you here today especially if you're a Christian, that you would see that Jesus wants to use your life. It just takes obedience from you. Jesus has plans to use your life. It's just simply you saying yes. God calls everyday people to everyday obedience for eternal life change. And that's going to be our challenge here today. So look with me. We'll be in Acts 8, as Brian said. We'll be picking up in verse 26. We'll be focusing in again on Philip. Verse 26 reads like this. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. 
So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you were reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So we're going to unpack this passage here. And at the end, we're going to give you the application points uh, with some take home. So the backdrop to this passage is last week you heard from Dustin. Philip has been used in the region of Samaria. Primarily is that because of persecution happening in Jerusalem that we find at the beginning of chapter 8, Philip and other ordinary everyday believers, not the apostles, but everyday believers are thrust out of Jerusalem to different places. And the upshot of this is we see this is how the gospel spreads, how the church grows. And so Philip is faithful in Samaria. We saw last week a look at counterfeit Christianity from the look of a guy he encountered, Simon the Magician. This week, we see Philip being rerouted, right? The calling's still the same, Acts 1-8. Be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so we find his assignment being rerouted from Samaria to now he is called to go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place or a desert highway. So this is what Philip's new assignment is. And so this is where we find him today. And notice here, Philip hears from the Spirit. And notice as well, as an aside, the Holy Spirit's fingerprints are front and center throughout all of this passage, really through the whole book of Acts and all the Bible, if you want to go that far. But really in this passage we're focusing in on today, notice how the Spirit sets up, guides, and leads men and women to life change. And the same is true still here for us today. So the Holy Spirit says, go down to Gaza. Go by the desert highway. Notice Philip doesn't say, hey, I got to ask somebody and make sure this is the right route. Right? I, I think it's a good thing I wasn't living at this time. Because, listen, 16 months into living in Simpsonville Fountain Inn, I still GPS, like, everything. And so, like, even if you in a loving way tell me a way to go, I'm going to get my car and put it in ways. It's not because I don't trust you. It's just I usually think there's a faster way to get there than what you, you can probably tell me because I trust my technology a lot. And, and here's the thing. Philip doesn't say, I got to go plug this in GPS to make sure this is the right route, the fastest route. He simply goes. And as he goes, lo and behold, he sees a chariot. I told the first two services in my, my prep for this sermon, I had a, a, a correction, if you will. And here's how I always read this passage like, man, I don't know how many of you guys have watched Ben-Hur. If you have four hours of time, I'm a history geek. I love Ben-Hur. I'm married now, so I don't get to watch Ben-Hur that much anymore, unless Melody's on vacation or somewhere without me. I watched Ben-Hur then. In that movie, there's a scene where, like, these chariots are booking it, right? They're just flying around this track, and I'm like, man, 
This is what the Ethiopian eunuch was doing, right? Philip's running a 4-2-40, man. He would have been a first-round draft pick. But recent scholarship has said this was not the case. This would have been a slow, ambling chariot. So he's probably in a light jog, a little warm-up here. So Philip shows up. The spirit says, go catch up to that chariot. And he runs alongside and essentially says, what's up? You know, I mean, think about this. If I was in, I live in Fountain Inn, if, if I was at Main Street Fountain Inn and you walked up to my car and said, what are you reading there? If I was looking at my phone, I would literally not look at you. I would hit the gas. That's weird. Let's just be honest. We act like this is normal. This is not normal, right? This is not an everyday occurrence here. But Philip shows up and he looks at him. And he says, do you understand what you're reading? And, and here's the thing. This is such an important question. And here's why. It's such an important question for us as we think about evangelism and sharing the gospel as believers. Because a lot of times we say, well, I'm not going to share the gospel because they're going to reject this. Because they already have a bad view of Christianity. Because they already hate Jesus and they want nothing to do it. Understand this. Yes, there, there are those type of people out in the world. But what I'm finding, especially working with next generation, young adults, young families, is this. There are far more people who are like the Ethiopian eunuch who are longing and looking for someone to explain the truth to them. They're just waiting. And so it begs us to ask the question, can I help you understand? Now, a little bit of background about the Ethiopian eunuch here before we move on with this passage. Number one, we see... He is an Ethiopian, right? This is clear. This is noted a few times here. Now, Ethiopia is not necessarily the Ethiopia we think of today. This would have been a little bit different towards the Nile there type of nation. It was a powerful nation at that time. But Ethiopia at this time, Homer writes, the ancient writer Homer says of Ethiopia, he says, these are the last of men. These are the edges of the earth. So if you lived in the first century and you went to Ethiopia in that thinking, that was the edge of the earth. This is why when Jesus says, be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, man, we find Samaria and the ends of the earth being fulfilled right here. And so the Ethiopian is coming from the ends of the earth, the last of men. He is a eunuch. As I told the first two services, don't Google it, but ask somebody if you don't know what that is. He is restricted in a certain way of life there. And so, but here's the thing, that's a double-edged sword. Because if you were a eunuch at this time, and really up until recent history, that meant you were usually placed in high places of trust in the government. And in fact, we believe he held a position along the lines of like minister of finance. So he has some authority and probably made a decent amount of money as well. He wasn't just a servant. He was a high-powered official in Queen Candace's government in Ethiopia. But the downside to that, the other side of the sword is this. He would have been shunned in other areas of his life. We're told that he's coming back from Jerusalem. He had gone to worship. He's like Cornelius two chapters later. He doesn't know exactly all the things he needs to know about God to follow God, but he knows he needs to worship him. And so he has gone to Jerusalem. He shows up in the temple, but understand this, he could not enter the temple. And here's why. Old Testament law said that eunuchs were excluded from the temple. So even though he's going to Jerusalem, he can't go in the temple. He can't go to worship God. So he finds himself outcast and on the outside. That's the other side of the sword there. So here's this guy who can't go into the temple, yet he's still seeking God. He's reading Isaiah 53, and Philip just happens to show up and he says, can I help you? 
understand what you're reading? Again, this is a question our culture is longing to be asked. And I'm not saying people are stumbling in here and they're opening up their Bible. Maybe they are, but more than likely not. And they're going to sit in these seats and we can say, can I help you understand? Praise God if that opportunity comes. But primarily in our culture today, those opportunities are happening on these little devices right here. Because they're on social media and other platforms. As as much as we give them grief for that, they are actually engaging in some truth there. They just don't know how to interpret it. And this is where the Christ followers are able to step into that gap. Can I help you understand that? This is what the Ethiopian says. How can I unless someone guides me? If you're a follower of Jesus in here, you are called to be a guide for those who don't know Jesus, to point them to Jesus, to guide them to Jesus there. So Philip Philip is invited to get into the chariot. He starts unpacking Isaiah 53. And as he unpacks it, The Ethiopian says, who is this about, Isaiah or someone else? And Philip says, say no more. Let me tell you about Jesus. And what we're told is that this Ethiopian eunuch, one who is excluded from the assembly of God, the temple of God, is invited into the family of God. It's a beautiful picture. Where the Old Testament law said only these people are allowed in under certain circumstances. God says, whoever calls upon my name is welcomed into the family. And even before we get to the end here, if you're not a follower of Jesus in here, you are like the Ethiopian eunuch in terms of you walk in with so many barriers probably, so many excuses as to why you cannot follow Jesus today. Well, I have this background. I have this sin in my past. I'm in this sin right now. I don't know enough. I don't know this. Understand this. Upon hearing about the God who has sent his son, Jesus, to live the life that you cannot live, that you should live, that I should live, and to die the death that I deserve to die on the cross, and to rise from the dead, something I could never do and you could never do on your own, to defeat death and defeat sin, to make a way for those who are excluded from the family of God to be invited to be sons and daughters of God. That is the invitation that's on the table here for you today. You do not have to remain outside of the family of God any longer. And so hear the invitation today. You are not here by accident. You are not here by random circumstance. God has you here for a reason today. And the question I have for you is, what will prevent you from turning to Jesus right now? If that's you, man, find me at the end of the service. Find me at the end of the song. Find me in the hallway. Shoot me a text. Whatever it takes to find out more about this Jesus who literally fulfills your deepest longings and changes your life to what you were always created for. So Philip sees the Ethiopian eunuch come to know Jesus. The immediate aftermath, the Ethiopian eunuch on his own says, look, here's some water. I need to get baptized. Philip says, say no more. They get out of the chariot, they go down, he's baptized. And what we're told is as they come out of the water, Philip is carried away by the Spirit. We actually don't hear about Philip for another 20 years. He disappears. This everyday Joe disappears from the scene. But he's not just disappearing to kick back and rest on his laurels from chapter 8. Next time we see him, he's called Philip the Evangelist. He's married. He has four daughters who love Jesus, and he's still sharing the gospel. Everyday man sharing the gospel. The Ethiopian, some say, goes back to Ethiopia and starts the church that we see again in the 4th century. 
There's not a lot of consensus on that, but what we can, I think, assume is this. Whether he started that church or not, as any new believer should do, they go and tell somebody about what's just happened in their lives. And so we can assume, I think, that he's going back to Ethiopia and telling people, hey, listen to how Jesus changed my life. That's a natural reaction to the gospel changing our lives. Before we move to the application points, I just have a question, though. For those of you in here who do know Jesus, and it's a question that the Ethiopian eunuch asked to Philip, and I would say even asked to you here today. Some of you in here have trusted Jesus, but you have not taken the next step of obedience, which is believer's baptism. And you may have this reason or that reason, I don't like being in front of people, or I was raised with this background, this and that. Make no mistake about it. Jesus is very clear. That when we come to know him, the next step is believer's baptism. He says this in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission, teaching and baptizing them. Peter illustrates it for us in Acts 2 when the, the people say, Brothers, what must we do? And Peter says, Repent and be baptized again and again and again. Anytime a person is coming to faith, what we find is the immediate next step is baptism. Baptism isn't what saves you, but as I tell everybody that I baptize, there's nothing magical in these waters. It's just me getting you wet on a Sunday. That's all that it is. Not to downplay it, but really what baptism is, it's a public proclamation of what Jesus has already privately done in my heart. And it's one of the greatest witnesses we can give someone sitting in the audience who may not know Jesus. And so if you're a Christian in here and you have not been baptized, I ask you, as the Ethiopian eunuch asked, what prevents you from being baptized? We have a baptism date coming up on May the 14th. We have two elementary age kids that are going to be baptized. Praise God. What a witness. And you know what? There's room for more. So if you're an adult, especially, man, come on, follow the lead there. So let's look some application points here. Number one, God calls for immediate obedience. God calls for immediate obedience. And this is one we can, we can really pick up without even having to say it because you'll notice we already pointed out, Philip, here's the call from the Holy Spirit. What happens? He follows. He doesn't hesitate. But the temptation, I believe this is is the biggest one we struggle with out of all three points. The temptation here is to say, God, I'll get to it, just not right now. And as we said in our teaching team, delayed obedience is really disobedience. It's just not trusting God in the moment. Well, God, you don't know what I have going on in my schedule. I'm too tired. I just got home from work. I just got this. I have that. I, I don't have this. And I'm guilty of it as well. I shared with the first two services last Sunday, just to be completely transparent with you, I finished preaching at Anderson. I had a conference down in Florida. So what that meant was I couldn't line the flights up. So I had to come back to Fountain Inn, had to drive up to GSB, catch a flight in the afternoon, and then connect through Atlanta. By the time I got to my connecting flight in Atlanta, like I was done. Like, I just want to keep them. I love talking to people, but there comes a point where I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm checked out for the day. I was looking forward to sitting in my window seat, curled up against the window with my AirPods in to watch Percy Jackson, the lightning thief. And yes, you can judge me on that. I read history books and I read kids books, and I'm not ashamed of that. I also have a nice little competition with my elementary age niece about who can read the Percy Jackson books the first. Uh, so I got to win that competition. But I'd never seen the movie. And so I'm like, man, I'm actually looking forward to this. Got to download on my iPad. I'm just going to hang out here. But as I get into my row on the airplane, there's this woman who just immediately takes it as an opportunity to talk to me. And I'm like, 
And she's upset because the gate agent said messed around with her ticket and this and that. She, she's really upset. And I'm like, man, you know, I, I didn't say that, but I was like, all right. You know, so I listened and I gave the polite head nod. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. And then when she kind of took a breath, I just slid my AirPods in. And I, I say that to say about two days later as I'm working in the conference, I had some free time and I'm going back through this. And the Lord convicted me. He said, I told you to talk to that woman. Now, he didn't audibly say that, but I felt that conviction. I should have talked to her. Now, I don't know if she was a believer or not. I, maybe she just needs somebody to listen to her. But I wasn't having any of it because I was selfish. Because I wanted it on my time. God, I'm good if you catch me tomorrow morning, I meet this woman again when I'm fresh, right? But not then. God, I'm exhausted. I just preached, right? I've just been all over South Carolina to get to Atlanta. God, I don't want to obey you right now. It's essentially what I was saying. But God does not give us room to give excuses when it comes to immediate obedience. How could God use my obedience if I simply responded immediately? Jesus wants to use our lives. It just takes obedience from us. Leads us to the second point. God determines the value of your opportunities. Think about this. Philip is given no detail here. He's simply told, all right, you are in Samaria. Now I want you to go down this specific route from Jerusalem to Gaza. No details. None. I would have been like, okay, maybe I'll do that, God, but why don't you get to the real, real purpose here? When I, when I get to Gaza, that's when the real work starts because just the, the ride down or the walk down, uh, it's, it's just mundane. It's every day. And this is why I believe we miss a lot of opportunities God is putting in our face. We think that God works, or we believe that God works, and in a way, rightfully so, on the mission field, or on a Sunday morning, or in our ministries, or at midweek. Hopefully, you're a part of that. If not, love to see you there on Wednesday nights. Kicks off at six o'clock. And even as a pastor, that's how often I, I box God in, that here are these ministry times and mission trips that I think you can move. Here's beach camp, and I, I know you'll move there, God, but really in the mundane routine of my schedule, I don't really believe you'll move. And what we find here is he takes a seemingly random, though as we see a providential opportunity, and he moves in monumental ways here. And we miss so many opportunities because we're simply not paying attention. And we say, well, God, this is my workplace. This is my neighborhood. That's my neighbor I don't like over there. This is my family member. God, you, you're not going to show up here. And I told the first two services this, and I firmly believe this. Make no mistake about it. The preaching and teaching of God's word and co corporate worship, congregational worship, should be of highest priority for the Christian because God does move in those ways, and you should be plugged in in those ways. But in my ministry, what I have seen is that God moves far more often when I'm obedient in the seemingly random conversations outside of these doors on a Sunday than he is from the platform. Now, don't get me wrong. I've seen him change lives from here, but I see him change more lives out there. Amen. So here's a dangerous prayer to pray. I gave it to the first two services. And it's in answering this question, what opportunities as a Christian exist for me today? And don't pray this prayer unless you're really ready to be obedient to the answer. God, help me to see and take advantage of these opportunities. God, this is how I've prayed it before. God, open my eyes to the divine appointments you have around me today. Now, don't pray that prayer unless you're going to do it. Because God will make good on those opportunities every single time. And I'll go ahead and tell you, they'll be awkward. 
They'll be inconvenient. They'll push you out of your comfort zone. That's on purpose, by the way. But don't pray the prayer unless you're going to walk through it. Because this is a prayer God has answered in my life every single time. Praise God for that. God determines the values of our opportunities. Leads us to the third point. God wants to use you to share the gospel. He wants to use you to share the gospel. If you're a follower of Jesus, the expectation, and I can say in the most loving way, is that you are the one who is supposed to share the gospel. Well, it's supposed to be the pastor. Yeah, that's part of my role. It's part of my responsibility. It's supposed to be the ministry leader. Yeah, hopefully they're doing it too. But the everyday men and women who follow Jesus, it is your responsibility to share the gospel. How does the church advance in the book of Acts? Through everyday men and women sharing the gospel. Right now, yeah, the, the apostles move the ball down the field, and Paul plants churches, and praise God for that. But you'll notice, like, there are different points in the book of Acts when the apostles show back up on the scene after they've spent some time, they leave and they come back. And what's happened? The gospel is exploding. Why? Because everyday men and women are sharing the gospel. And we have that same opportunity here today to see that we are plan A. And we say, well, well, Corey, God doesn't know how I might mess up or how I might fumble the ball. Understand this. You are not called to get results. You are called to be faithful and obedient. You have opportunities to share the gospel all around you. Let God deal with the results. And I mean that in the most loving way. I'm not called to save people. I'm called to just share the gospel and let God move however he wishes, how the Holy Spirit wishes. Think about this. All of these neighborhoods around our campus here, all of the upstate where population growth is exploding. We've seen it in our church, and praise God for that. Numbers just through the roof, and praise God. And we've seen people that have responded coming from death to life. But you know what? There are more people out there that need to have someone to say, do you understand the truth that's in front of you? And then to so boldly say, can I tell you about this Jesus that that truth is pointing to? What would our church look like? Man, we'd have to build two new buildings. Not that we do it for that, but we do it because we exist to see the upstate come to know Jesus and beyond. Because if we reach the upstate, we change the world. God changes the world. Jesus wants to use you in that. He wants to use your life. All it takes is obedience. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to worry about fumbling the ball. You just have to be faithful and obedient. God calls everyday people to everyday obedience for eternal life change. Will we be obedient today? Let's pray. Father, I thank you. You're a God that uses everyday men and women, like myself and like those in this room, who, while we may say we're not equipped enough or skilled enough, you show us in this passage, Lord, we're just simply called to be obedient enough. So God, I pray. I pray for those in here who may be sitting in the seat like the eunuch was, and they don't know you, but they see the truth in front of their face, that they would come and ask the question, will someone explain this to me? And Lord, may we be so faithful to do so. May you save them today. God, I pray for the Christians in this room that we would be obedient. We would see how you value opportunities and we would be so bold as to be everyday witnesses who share the gospel and to sit back and see how you would change Harrison Bridge and the upset and beyond. 
God, we pray and we ask that you would move in this way. We ask these things in your name. Amen.